Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Wow, welcome to July. We got Valentine's in July. This is awesome. And usually it's in February. It's so weird. But uh, it's great. Happy Valentine's Day. My wife was texting me during Tony's announcements and happy Valentine's. I'm telling her back. So uh, just uh, glad that you're here. Um, we're going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute. But man, this is an exciting time in the life of our church. Um, it's just so cool. I love that land, you know, land of a thousand hills, kind of unheard of. They're coming after us saying, we just love your church so much what God's doing there. We want to create a, a t-shirt. Would you partner with us and like design, you know, it's like crazy. Who does that? Um, it's, uh, you know, there's uh, uh, this uh, freedom event that's coming. I, I just really want to encourage you women of all ages to come to that. You know, the lady talking on there, her name's Carrie Garcia. Carrie was in my life group for three years with her husband, Mario. We went away about three years ago for a weekend of worship and praise, just the whole life group. And God spoke to her during that time. She used to be in ministry and called her to start this movement. We prayed for her. This is going on. They've done events now in Orange County. They've done events in, uh, in uh, San Diego. And she came to me. They now live in Orange County. They moved out a year ago. And she came and said, Michael, she said, I would love to do an event in L.A., but I want to do it at Rocky Peak. That's where my heart is. And, uh, and so we're doing this event here. It's for L.A., uh, but we're hosting it here. And so it's going to be an amazing event. Carrie is witty. She's funny. She's got a great message. She's got a passion for Jesus. Uh, she, loves, uh, she loves bringing freedom to people. She's gone through a lot in her life. It's going to be a, a tremendous event. And then the last thing I just want to highlight is that, you know, for years we've been praying that God would just um, bless us with a, a culture of generosity here at Rocky Peak, that he would just move us that he would help us to see that our resources belong to him, that we would give generously to him, to his kingdom, he would use us. And man, we are seeing that happen. And I just want to say way to go. You know, we ended the year so strong financially, just fantastically. But you know, in January, this was by far the strongest January financial we've ever had in the history of our church. And on top of that, it's not just our general fund. I know it's awesome. But not just our general fund, even though we've kind of finished phase one of the assignment, our official phase of it, uh, since January, $150,000 has been given to that. Uh, since we stopped the Himalayan thing, $15,000 has come in the last few weeks towards Himalayan Joy Home. It's just amazing. And so I just want to say thank you as a congregation for listening and following in the area of finances. Because God is just moving, and I think he's got great things planned for us. And it's just exciting to see him paving the way as we bring our finances under the leadership of King Jesus. Amen? So it's just great news. So, hey, we're going to go into our time of teaching, and so inside your program is a, a green and white uh, message note sheet. I'm going to jump in. If you guys are ready to go. You guys ready to go? Yeah. All right. God, we're excited to be here, to be pursuing you, to be experiencing your presence, to be learning to listen and follow your voice in our life, and then to live lives that are by design and not by default. And God, as we take this next step today in this journey, I pray you'd be here, you'd speak, you'd speak to each of us by name according to what we need to hear specifically by your spirit. Then we go out, we know we've been spoken to, we know the next step in our journey. And we pray that in your name, amen. amen. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in the last few weeks called Priorities, The Path to Life. And uh, if you've been in the last few weeks, uh, this, this is a, a series it's really built on one of the most common metaphors in the Bible. It's a metaphor of journey. So if you're brand new, um, the Bible often compares our lives to a journey, and it says there are paths that lead to freedom and fulfillment and uh, uh, restored relationships and to health and financial blessing. The Bible calls those the path to life. Uh, and then there are paths that lead to pain, to frustration, to 
regret to heartache to broken relationships to financial ruin and so on. And the Bible calls those paths of death. And so the message is to choose wisely because if you get on the wrong path, it's going to lead you to the wrong destination whether you realize it or not. And so uh, the last three weeks, we focused on these first three steps of the journey. So step number one was to pursue. You remember that? We want to pursue God as our top priority in life. We're created for him. We're designed for him. We'll only be satisfied when we are pursuing him as our top priority. So we said our, our first step of this journey is to seek God as uh, we want to know him, we want to love him, and we want to please him as our very top priority in all areas of life. And only then will the rest of our life, think of our life as a solar system with God at the center, only then will the rest of our priorities, like planets, come into alignment. Secondly, the second step was to learn to listen. That's once we come under the leadership of our creator, that he loves us, he's got a plan for our life. As we listen and follow, he will lead us to the path of life. We have to learn to listen and follow when it makes sense, when it doesn't. Uh, the third step then was last week. We talked about design, so that God's got a design for our lives. He's the chief architect. He's got a vision. And so if we want to live life by design and not by default, we have to come under his leadership we have to kind of discern his will for our life in those eight key areas. We've talked about marriage, family, dating, whatever. And, and then we need to kind of plot out what are the steps that get me from point A to B. And we need to uh, be intentional, live our life intentionally so we end up at our desired destination. Well, today we're ready for our fourth step. And these next four steps, we're at the halfway point of the series right now. The next four steps really deal with areas of our life that we often tend to neglect or leave out of our design. So as we're designing our life, this life, uh, this path of life, that there are like four areas we tend to often neglect or forget, and they tend to get edged out by the busyness of life that are really critical to living uh, life to the full. And so today, the first step uh, that we're going to be looking at of these four is called restore. And I want to start there with a quote today. And um, there in your note sheet, there's a section called Restore, the Path to Life. And I've got so many quotes today that we ran out of room. So you won't have all of them. Some of them will go on the screen, some will be here. But I want to start, this is from that book I've mentioned several times, The Power of Full Engagement, you know, secular book, but some great insights into life and culture, our life right now. And this is how they start the book, these two high-level consultants. It says, we live in a digital time. Our rhythms are rushed, rapid fire, and relentless. Our days are carved up into bits and bites. We celebrate breadth rather than depth. We quick reaction more than considered reflection. We race through our lives without passing to consider who we really want to be or where we really want to go. That's what we talked about last week, being clear in our destination. We're wired up, but we're, we're melting down. Most of us are just trying to do the best we can. When demands exceeds our capacity... We begin to make expedient choices that get us through our days and nights, but take a toll over time. We survive on too little sleep. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yes, three just woke up. Um, but, hey, what was that noise? Um, on uh, too little sleep, um, uh, we, uh, we wolf down fast foods on the run. We fuel up with coffee and donuts on the patio. And... <laughs> We cool down with alcohol and sleeping pills, not on the patio. Faced with, uh, with relentless demands at work, we become short-tempered and easily distracted. We return home from long days at work feeling exhausted. We often experience our families not as a source of joy and renewal, but as one more demand than an already overburdened life. 
We walk around with day planners and to-do lists, smartphones and pop-up reminders or computers, all designed to help us manage our time better. We take pride in our ability to multitask. We wear our willingness to put in long hours as a badge of honor. We use words like obsessed, crazed, and overwhelmed, not to describe insanity, but instead to characterize our everyday lives. (laughs) And I think that a lot of us can relate to this, and I think we could probably all agree as you come to God's Word, as you step back and you say, what does God design life to be? What does it look like to live a life by design and not by default? This is probably not what he had in mind, right? And it's interesting because as you open the very first chapter of the Bible in the book of Genesis and you have the seven-day account of creation, one of the things you see is that God is designed and woven into the very fabric of creation. He's designed this rhythm to life. I call it running hard and resting well. That life is designed for us to run hard and rest well. There's a rhythm to life, and you can see it in the very creation account. That it starts off that God creates time in these seven 24-hour days, and every day is divided into a day and a night. There's a time to work. There's a time to rest. You look at then the seven-day week is designed. There are six days to work, And then there's a day to rest, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is much more than just a day to relax. It's a day to reflect on the rest of your life so you can live the rest of your life well in the coming week. And then as you look at the the, uh, seasons of the year, it's interesting as you move on to Genesis like 8 or 9, after the great flood, that God says to Moses, he makes a promise, as long as time goes on, there will always be seed time, and harvest. There'll be cold, and there'll be hot. There'll be summer, and there'll be winter. There'll be day and night. Into the very fabric of creation, God says there's a time to plant, and there's a time to reap. And then comes the winter, and it's designed for a time of rest when the earth renews and we restore. As you study the history of the nation of Israel, that every seventh year, they were let the land lie fallow, that the land could heal itself. Every 50 years, there was a year of jubilee, a year of rest. Three times a year, all the men in Israel were required to come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, a trip that would take seven to ten days for many of them. And then once they're there, they'd spend seven to ten days. What are they doing? They're worshiping the Lord. They're catching up with friends. They're resting. It's a built-in vacation three times a year for the nation. And so as you study the Word, what you see is that God has designed this to build a rhythm into our lives of running hard and resting well, and that when we violate that, we are unable to do two things. Number one, we are unable to be most productive. But number two, that when we're running that hard, we lose the ability to discern the difference between the urgent and the important. And our lives begin to live flat life. We are working tons of hours, and we're running really hard, but we've lost the ability to discern what's truly important. And so that if we want to live lives by design and not by default, which is the whole message of the series, that we have to learn to build healthy rhythms into our life of rest, renewal, refresh, uh, refreshment, if we're going to live life well and stay on track and achieve our design that we talked about last week. And so that's the topic on the table today. And so what I want to do 
is there in your note sheets a section called Restore the Rhythms. And I want to talk about three practical steps that we need to take if you want to build this rhythm into your life that, we're, that will cause us to thrive. And the first step, number one, is to reflect. That if you want to live life well, that you have to build times, regular times in your life for reflection. Times where you get alone, and as followers of Jesus, this works for non-followers of Jesus too, but as followers of Jesus, we're going to get alone. We're going to spend time in the presence of God. We're going to discuss our lives. We're going to listen for his word, through his word and his spirit, his direction. We're going to kind of design our lives. We're going to check up with our design and say, am I on the right path? We're going to say, track our progress like we talked about last, last week. And here's what I want to suggest. This is absolutely critical, that we often look in our culture as things like rest and reflection as optional, uh, a luxury. What I want to suggest is they're not optional. If you want to live well, they're critical to our success. And so we saw this a couple weeks ago in the life of Jesus, and I want to go back to it just for a moment because it's so important. You know, his life was getting really busy. Crowds were coming from all over. And in Luke chapter 5, Luke puts it like this, New Century Version. The news about Jesus spread even more. Many people came to hear Jesus and be healed of their sicknesses. So that, okay, life is heating up, right? But Jesus, what's the next word? Often. Often. Can you circle that for me? He often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. So the question is, why does Jesus feel this need to get alone? And I'm pretty convinced the reason is, is that Jesus had come to live life by design, not by default. Uh, One of the things he often said is, I have not come to do my own will. I have done to do the will of him who sent me. Um, At the end of his life, the last night before he's arrested, he's praying and he says, Father, I have completed, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And so Jesus wanted to live his life by design. He wanted to live his life under the leadership of his father, carry out the life God had uh, called him to live, uh, live his life very intentionally. And these times alone were critical for him to remember, to discern, to hear from his father, what's next? Where do I go next? What do I do? To remember his mission, to stay on track, to resist temptation, critical times. And here's the thing, you know, here at Rocky Peak, we have a vision, don't we? And our vision, I know you all know it, our vision is to unleash a movement of what? Good, let's say it again. Vision of what? Good, all right. I just wanted to wake up the three back in the back row. Uh, Okay, so passionate Christ followers, right? So so why don't we say that we want to unleash a movement of passionate Christians? Well, the reason is, in our culture, the word Christian has largely lost its meaning. You know that, what is it, like 70-some percent of our, of our uh, country, in a survey, will say that they are Christians. I don't know where they're living, but it's not California. Um, well, I think we have 30% pagans. But anyway, the rest of the world, no. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, people, it's like the word has become kind of meaningless, hasn't it? Like, I mean, and so here at Rocky we say Christ followers. Why? Because we're serious about following Jesus. We want to please Jesus. We want to, we're not just saying we believe in him. We want to follow him. But here's what I want to challenge you. I believe it's impossible to follow Jesus unless we do the things that Jesus did to follow his father. Like if you want to follow Jesus, 
Well, then you have to follow Jesus. And what did he do? He often slipped away to get with his father to make sure he was staying on track. And here's what I want to suggest, is that I believe it is impossible to live life well, to stay on track, to live life by design, not by default, if we are not regularly getting away to process our lives with our Father. Now, notice I didn't say daily. Uh, Maybe daily, for many of you, that'll work best. It may be several times a week, but we need these times to get alone and just say, how are we doing? Here's what's going on, Father. How do you want me to handle this? Give me wisdom. Here's what I need. Give me some direction. And you'll listen to his word and so on, right? It's interesting. As you study in the Bible, you see this. Uh, You know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. And one of the things I love about David is that he wrote these psalms. So they're kind of like, in a sense, like a journal that we kind of get some insight into his life. And one of the famous, famous psalms David ever wrote was Psalm 23. It's there on your note sheet. And I want you to look at it through these eyes of restoration. Um, He says, the Lord, and remember, Lord all caps means Yahweh. So Yahweh is my shepherd. So David had been a shepherd. He knew how sheep worked. Um, From what I'm told, I'm not a sheep expert. From what I'm told, sheep are not real bright. I'm not sure what that means when all we like sheep have gone astray. But anyway, um, we're always compared to sheep. But they're not real bright, right? They, they, they're not really, can't take care of themselves. So without a shepherd, they're pretty helpless. And so they have to be led in the right path so they get lost. They have to be uh, told where to lie down. They can't figure it out. They have to be brought to quiet waters because, they, you know, running water scares them. And so they're just not real bright. And so David says, hey, I know what it is to be a shepherd. He says, in my life, I need someone to be a shepherd. Now, let me ask you, do you need a shepherd in your life? Now, this is one of the things I, I pray, God, would you shepherd me? I need a shepherd. And so he says, Yahweh is my shepherd, uh, and therefore I shall not be in one. He's going to take care of me. And he says, he, catch this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Catch this. Let me ask you a question. You can raise your hand if you feel comfortable. How many of you would say you're sort of a high-capacity, uh, high-motor uh, high achievement type person. How many say you're kind of naturally wired like that? Okay, great. How many would say that you're more of like a sluggard? No, just kidding. <laughs> That's for a different message. Yeah. A sluggard turns on his bed like hinges on a door. All right. So if that's you. Don't listen today at all. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I think one of the things that happens in our country, if you're a high-capacity, high-achieving, high-motor person, is chances are that when you relax, you feel guilty. Chances are that when you rest, you feel like you're wasting your time, that you feel like you need to be productive at all moments. Some of you have heard of that test called Strengths Finders. Huge fan of that, by the way. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, it's going to give you 32 strengths. It's going to be your top five. My number one is achievement. Uh, it says that you, even on vacation, you have to be achieving. It is so true. It's the way I'm wired. Right? So uh, for people like me, if you're like wired like that, rest and restoration doesn't come naturally. And I love what David says here. He makes me lie down. 
in green pastures. Like, you're not smart enough to figure this out on your own. It's like, no, son, you are sleeping here, right? You're not going on. It's not like one of your motorcycle trips. You're not going from Montana to California without stopping. You are laying down here, right? I'm going to make you lie down. And then he says, he leads me by quiet waters. Do any of you love sleeping with the sound of water coming in the window? It's so relaxing, isn't it? I mean, I love it so much, I bought this really cool app. It's called Noisly. It's awesome. I go to sleep with water every night. Um, and then catch what he says next. He restores what? My soul. This is one of the ways that he is, that God is my shepherd. He restores me. Uh, he says, he guides me in the paths of righteousness, so the right paths. He shows me the path of life uh, for his name's sake. And as you look at David's life, you say, well, so how did God, you know, David was a high achiever. Would you, would you agree? I mean, he's king. <laughs> you know, usually kings are, when you, when, especially when you, when you create your own kingdom, you're, you're a high achiever. Uh, <laughs> like if you just inherit the king, maybe not kingdom, but he's a high achiever. Um, and uh, I love when he you know, kills Goliath, and he cuts off his head and carries it for 10 miles. That's a high achiever. Uh, so, um, and so the question is, how does God restore David's soul of a high achiever? And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of answers to that, but one of the ways that Davis gives us, uh, David gives insight into is these times alone. And I, I put a couple examples there, and I love these because one comes from a good time in his life, and one comes from a hard time. One time, God's restoring him in the morning, one time at night, so there's something for everybody here, morning people, night people. But the first one's from Psalm 5, and this is where he's going through a hard time. And he says, Lord, every morning, catch that, you hear my voice. Every morning. He says, I, I'm going this hard time, I'm just seeking you in the morning. Every morning, I tell you what I need, and I wait for you to answer. Can I tell you something? When we are going through hard times in life, we lose our perspective. And it becomes very difficult to stay on track with our priorities. Like if you're going through a really hard time in your life right now, it's really hard to think in terms of designing your life and where am I at with my priorities. You're like, I'm just trying to survive. Who cares? Pass another donut. (laughs) It's like something to distract me, right? Uh, and so David is seeking God in the hard times because he needs, this, he needs to hear God's voice. He needs to be restored. But I love the next passage. This is one of the good times. And he says, I praise Yahweh because he advises me. You know, he speaks to me. Remember, listen. Even at night, I feel his leading. I keep the Yahweh before me always because he's always at my side. I will not be hurt. Can I tell you something? The most vulnerable time for us spiritually is not more going through hard times, the most vulnerable time spiritually is when we're going through good times. When everything is going well, we tend to forget the most important things, and we tend to forget our priorities. We get distracted. And so David says one of the ways that the Lord restores his soul, he says, in the morning I seek you. At the night I'm listening for your voice. These times of reflection. And so in the power of full engagement, they put it like this. The consequences of living our lives at warp speed. Remember, that's how we started the day is that we rarely take the time to reflect on what we value most deeply or to keep those priorities front and center. And, and that's, of course, the big danger. I love how Donald Miller in his book, Blue Line Jazz, puts looks at that quote, the next quote. I believe the greatest trick of the devil is not to get us into some sort of evil, 
but rather have us wasting time. All right, so here's what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is if you want to live your life by design, remember last week we kind of listed out, okay, what are these eight areas of life? You want to architect your life. You want to come under God's leadership. What's going remember we talked about marriage or dating and family. And we talked about, you know, parenting and finances and career. And we talked about your life calling, your area of service and these different areas. It's one thing to design those pathways. It's one thing to design that plan. Here's a step. But if you don't have regular times in your life to listen to God's voice, to reflect with him, to and kind of pull out those destinations, am I on track? What's my next step? I can guarantee you, you will not arrive at your destination. That we need these regular times of reflection. Now, if you say, well, Mike, I've tried that, and I, have, uh, I just can't do this. And remember, I'm talking more than just daily devotions. I'm not talking... Like, I, that's part of it. I mean, we want to be spending time with God. We want to be processing our life with Him. We want to be listening to His voice through His Word and His Spirit. We perhaps doing some journaling or writing down some key insight. Yeah, it's all part of it. But this is bigger than just spending time with God. This is like bringing our life in the presence of God to think through our life together, what I call quorum Deo in Latin, to live in the presence of before the face of God. All right, so I'm saying without those time, very difficult. You might say, well, I've tried that, Michael. I, it just doesn't work. My mind wanders. When I go to read the word, I, I just, I don't, I don't know where to start. So I just pick a spot. Last time was Zephaniah. It wasn't real inspiring. Um, you know, next was Habakkuk. That was worse. But, um, and so I get this. And I'm telling you what, I've been doing this now, pastor now for about 30 years. And, and I've seen this. That as followers of Jesus, we know this. We can see Jesus' example. We know we need time alone. We know that, but we've tried it and failed. It hasn't worked. And so years ago, I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way. So I designed a course, and it's called Pursuing God One-on-One. And I think what's different about this course is that it doesn't assume there's one way for everybody. What it assumes is that you're a uniquely created person, and God wants to meet with you in unique ways that refresh and restore your soul and so it, it doesn't say this is the way to do it. It says here are some different ways, what works for you, to model that out. And the beautiful thing about this course is we, we uh, offer it on campus from time to time, a video venue, but the beautiful thing, it's online. And you can go online. It's free of charge. You can down, you can, uh, the, I, I teach the course. You can download the videos. You can download the note sheets. You can uh, buy the books at the bookstore. This would be a great step for many of you to say this is my first practical step out of this series I'm just going to begin saying, this is my very first step. I'm going to begin to pursue God and learn how to spend time with him in a way that restores my soul so that I'll have the energy and the habit in my life from which to launch out these other rooms of my house and carry out the design. That's number one. The second step to build these rhythms into our life is rest. And by rest, I'm talking about sleep. I'm talking about naps. Um... Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> so it's like, hey, there is something I can get behind. I, they're like right there. Uh, it was so funny. I was talking to one of the guys on our worship team this morning, and he said, you know, last night, he said, I actually fell asleep during your message. He said, I was just wanted to apply it immediately. Um, he said, I took like a power nap, and it was awesome. I said, good job, you know, just don't just hear the word, do the word. Uh, 
But here's what I want to suggest, and this is going to be a big challenge for some of you, because I know how some of you think, right? Some of you are kind of like wired like me, and so you think sleep is a waste of time. I, I have a, a friend who once said to me, um, I think sleep is overrated. Um, I can sleep when I die. Uh, and, uh, and, and so um, if you're wired like me, you've probably gone through your life trying to figure out how you can get by on less sleep. I, I remember one time when uh, I was newly married, so I think I was 13, uh, and uh, I was working as a medical warehouseman, right? So I was driving a forklift. Uh, it was one of the cool stand-up kinds, like you see at Costco, and those things are awesome. I and mean, they will haul, we could have races. It was just awesome. I could not believe that they'd pay me to do this. Like, if you're five years old, someone gave you like that, you'd pay them, right? And now it's like I'm 19 or 20, whatever I am, and... I just love them. They're big. They're powerful. They turn on a dime. You can haul down an aisle. You can be pulling up your forks as you're going. Whip in, turn on a dime, boom, pick up the pound and go. They're just awesome, right? Like every man should have an opportunity to do this once in your life. And and so um, I I remember during that season of my life, it's like I, uh, I, I just need to sleep less. I got too much to do. You know, life is too short. And so uh, I read an article. And the article said that if you cut sweets out of your life, cut sugars out of your life, you'll have more energy. In fact, you may get sleep maybe an hour, hour and a half, less a night. Feel great. So for a year and a half, I cut out all sweets, right? You know, all Krispy Kremes, all mochas. I want you to feel the pain. All, all donuts, right? All uh, uh, ice cream, right? For a year and a half. And uh, it didn't work. Didn't work. Uh, uh, then I decided, you know what? Our bodies are really adaptable. I think I can fool it. I think I can fool it. I think if I kind of come up with a schedule, I'll just kind of periodically cut down 15 minutes of my sleep. And before I know it, my body, I'll be down to four hours. It won't even know that what hit it. You know, it'll be doing great. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, and so I know that in a room like this, there's probably some of you wired like me. You think sleep is a waste of time. I'm a high productivity person. Uh, I have the ability to to do to less with more. Uh, I don't need much sleep. And the reality is, is that usually we are self-deceived when this is going to happen. That, uh, it's funny, last week someone sent me a video, YouTube video, from a National Geographic study, and they said, hey, this is, uh, this is right along with what you're teaching on the weekends, and uh, so I watched it this week when I was working out, and, uh, and I couldn't waste the time. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm still kind of that way. But anyway, uh, it was on uh, multitasking, and it was on the myth of multitasking. And it was, it was just kind of the science, scientific research that shows that multitasking is a mythology, that the way our minds work, that it's impossible to multitask, that what we can do, we, can, we are only able to focus on one thing at a time, and when we when we just say we're multitasking, what we're actually doing is switching our attention between multiple things very rapidly, which usually cuts down on productivity. So they call it serial switching. You're just kind of moving from one thing to the next, right? And so they would bring in these, these uh, guys, like uh, big executives, that are very proud of their multitasking ability, and they would run them through the test, and they'd come out, they're no different than everyone else. They would think. And so I think with sleep, it's often that way, that we often think that I don't really need my sleep, that I, I'm just kind of built this way. I don't really need it. And there are differences between people. We'll talk about that later. But 
But uh, often what's happened is that we have just forgotten what it's like to be refreshed. We've just gotten so used to being tired. And here's the problem. When you're tired, uh, you can work much longer hours, but you're much less productive during those hours. And research is showing this time and time again. The reality is, if you want to live life to the full, you know what you need? You need energy. And you want to bring your full energy to whatever you're doing. And so when you're cheating on your sleep, you are actually undercutting yourself. And the primary asset you have to achieve God's vision for your life is yourself. Like he has designed you, right? So uh, there's a reason why, like when you're on planes and the, they do go through the safety drill, they say, in case of an emergency the oxygen mask will come down. And if you're traveling with a child, put it on yourself first. And this is very counterintuitive because our instinct is to protect the child. But what they're saying is if you don't take care of yourself first, you won't be able to take care of the child. And this is true in all of life. You are your own greatest asset. God has designed you to use you And when you cheat on taking care of yourself, you don't have the energy you need to take care of the other priorities in your life. There in your note sheet, I put a quote from uh, Greg McCune in his book, Essentialism. He says, the best asset we have for making a contribution to the world is ourselves. If we underinvest in ourselves, and by that I mean our minds, our bodies, and our spirits, we damage the very tool." We need to make our highest contribution. One of the most common ways people, especially ambitious, successful people, damage this asset is through the lack of sleep. Now, it's interesting because over the last 30 years, the research in this area is phenomenal. It is really, this this is an interest of mine because I've always fought the reality of this. And it's an interest of mine, uh, and so I'm always seeing it, but if you just watch, whether it's uh, L.A. Times or, or you have Flipboard on your phone or you, uh, you're just kind of watching national publications, it seems like about every two weeks there's some new study that's come out about what happens in our sleep, things we're discovering about how God restores us in our sleep. Um, in fact, the last couple of years, I've cut out some articles, just clipped them out in Evernote. And uh, let me just uh, read some of the titles, all right? This, this, this is like recent. This is the last couple of years. This is an example. Uh, Here's one, um, five reasons why you should take a nap every day. All right, some of you are going, amen. All right, go on a Here's what, the the single best way to stall aging. Are you going to stay young longer? They're saying sleep in. All right. Uh, Here's one, Uh, how sleep enhances a heart healthy lifestyle. These are real titles. What we found is that people that get their sleep, they live longer, their hearts are healthier. That during your sleep, there are certain enzymes that are created that heal your heart. And when you don't get sleep, your heart is actually degenerating. Uh, Here's one. Lack of sleep may trigger anxiety. Here's one. Sleep deprivation is killing you and your career. Here's one. Sleep loss makes it harder to remember what you know. Some of you just thought you're getting older, right? Like, I, 
I, it must be I'm 25. I just can't remember. Uh, um, here's one. You can't get too much sleep. Uh, here's one. If you want to be more productive, get more sleep. Here's, here's the interesting thing. In the business world, a lot of these are from the business world. In the business world, they're recognizing this old paradigm of always work harder, longer. It's actually leading to less productivity. Uh, there was one study that was done in the Harvard Business School. Uh, it was reported in the Harvard Business Review, but it was done in the Harvard Medical School, where the head of the whole sleep faculty at, uh, at Harvard uh, Medical, that, uh, that they discovered in their research that if you go, uh, if you do an all-nighter, or if you uh, sleep a whole week averaging four to five hours a, a night of sleep, that the effect on your body is the equivalent of having 0.10 alcohol level in your blood, that you would be legally drunk at that point. That's interesting because no one comes into work and you go like, this guy is an amazing employee. He is always hungover. This guy, <laughs> he is legally drunk, and the work he does, it's amazing. But we will do this at work, won't we? And it's like, well, this person works so many hours and gets so, so, much, uh, so little sleep. And so the evidence is just piling up. The studies are crazy. Uh, there in your note sheet, a quote from uh, Powerful Engagement. And this was written 13 years ago. It's an awesome book, but in terms of the sleep research, it's really out of date. And so the studies are way more than now. But they said, um, they said other than eating and breathing, sleeping is the most important source of recovery in our lives. Uh, even small amounts of sleep debt have a significant impact on strength, cardiovascular capacity, interesting, strength. Uh, Harvard, I mean, uh, Stanford football team has been part of a research. Some of you are Stanford fans, but Stanford uh, football team has been part of a sleep study, and they have found that they are much stronger, perform better when they're getting 10 hours of sleep a night. And if you study world-class athletes, one of the first things that they will do is a, a coach of a world-class athlete, make sure they're getting a lot of sleep, 9, 10 hours a night. So that's what they're referring to here. Um, so they said uh, uh, cardiovascular capacity, mood, and overall energy levels. Uh, some 50 studies have shown, and that's why it'd like, be hundreds now, but some 50 studies have shown that our mental performance, our reaction time, our concentration, our memory, logical and uh, analytical reasoning, all decline steadily as sleep debt increases. Uh, it's interesting, they talk about memory here. Uh, when I was in my doctoral program, I had the privilege of studying under uh, one of the leading Christian uh, psychologists of our day. And one of his specialties is in sleep research. And uh, his name is Dr. Archibald Hart. And what they have discovered is one of the things that happens during sleep, talking about memory, one of the things that happens is that our minds defrag during sleep. So uh, if you're familiar with computers, you have your hard drive on a computer and all those bits of information are spread throughout the computer. And so from time to time, you run a defrag program that kind of combines it all in one place, frees up space on your hard drive. Well, they said that during sleep, research has shown that our, our mind, in the deepest out times of sleep, it actually defrags, it pulls together our memory, which is why you remember so much better when you're getting good sleep. Um, but he goes on, and he says, um, sleep... Uh, he says, uh, sleep needs vary by age, by gender, and genetic predisposition. So there is some variation from person to person. But the broad scientific consensus is that the average human being needs seven to eight hours a night to function 
uh, uh, optimally. Now, in addition to its energy-renewing function, sleep is also uh, uh, a period during which substantial growth and repair, catch those two words, occurs. Most of it at the deepest levels of sleep when slow-wave delta brainwaves are dominant. During these periods, cell division is most active. The greatest number of growth hormones and repair enzymes are released, and muscles that have been stressed during the day have an opportunity to regenerate. In short, we heal and grow most during the deepest periods of recovery. And so this is what I want to challenge you on. If you're wired like me and you're naturally inclined to distrust sleep or to get by on less, which is definitely the way I'm wired, that I'm just to challenge you to look at the research and understand how God has wired you. Like very early on, even though I was pushing it back against then, this, uh, this one of the lessons God was teaching me when I was working at that medical warehouse was, you know, I love driving those forklifts, right? But at the end of every day, we had to take these huge machines and plug them into this huge rack where they would get recharged for the night because they're running on then these big batteries. And uh, it was during that time, and God was helping me to see, uh, Michael, this is how I've designed you. It's like you are designed for day and night. You are designed to be recharged. And when you try to run on less sleep than you need, what's happening is it's like you're, you're trying to run this, uh, this, this uh, forklift during the day without charging it up at night. It just doesn't work. You're going against the design the way I've designed you, right? So whatever you're doing, there's enough time that I've given you to accomplish what I've called you to accomplish in your life without cheating on your sleep. And so there in your note sheet, I love the way this is put in Psalm 127 by Solomon. He says, it's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Sleep is designed, how God is designed to restore your soul. Now, before we go on, just a couple things. One is that it's my favorite article uh, on sleep. And the reason is because it's a high achiever article. And I think that whenever I'm speaking on this topic to a group like this, I'm really targeting those of you who don't believe in sleep, right? So, I, so some of you, you're already convinced. You're already getting the sleep you need. Others of you are getting too much sleep. You need a different message. Uh, but I'm really targeting those in this room that are high-capacity, high-achieving, high-motor people. I'm, I'm addressing you because, like me, you're going to be slow to believe this. It's going to be hard to convince. And, uh, but here's the thing. As more and more research is coming out, what you're seeing is top-level executives of well-known companies would all know that they are more and more coming to grips with this and instituting, even like at Google now, They'll have pods, sleep pods, where people can take naps during the day. Uh, I wish I had one of those. But uh, I'm, I'm checking into how much a pod costs. But um, anyway, uh, but my favorite article was from the Wall Street Journal. And it was years ago, so it's not super current, but it was uh, back, it was 1999 when Amazon was taking off. But here was the name of the article. Listen to this. Sleep, the new status symbol for successful entrepreneurs. I love it. And, and, uh, and so this isn't on your note sheet, but it come up on the screen. It says Jeff Bezos. He's the head of Amazon. I honestly don't know if it's Bezos or Bezos, but I'm just going to go with Bezos. So it's Bezos. Okay, it says Bezos. Great. I've got one vote. I'll go with that. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos is a man to be envied. His Amazon commas revolutionized online shop. Is that not true? Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, what would we do without Costco and Amazon? 
And I'm like, I don't know about you, but I would be naked and hungry. That would be, <laughs> that would be my story. I, um, and so he said, uh, anyway, he's a man to be envied. His Amazon com has revolutionized online shopping, made him an icon for brash, young internet entrepreneurs. And of course, Mr. Bezos, chief executive of the company, is very, very rich. But here's, I love this, here's the real sign he's made it. Mr. Bezos, 35 years old, gets eight hours of sleep a night. A restful, rejuvenating, even luxurious eight solid hours of sleep a night. I'm more alert, and I think more clearly as a result, he says. I just feel so much better all day long if I've had eight hours. And so then the article says, it's official. Sleep, that rare commodity in stressed-out America, is a new status symbol. Once derided as the wimpish failing, the same 1980s overachievers who cried lunch is for losers also believe sleep is for suckers. Slumber is now being touted as restorative companion to the creative executive mind. And uh, powerful. Uh, so here's a couple of suggestions for you. Say, I want to learn more about this. Uh, a couple things. One, uh, my prof and, and that Dr. Wark Archart, high achiever himself, had to be convinced of this. He wrote a great book called Sleep, It Does a Family Good. Men and women, this is not an issue just for us as adults. If you have kids in your home, you have grandkids, this is an issue for our kids. Our kids are running at breakneck speed. We are programming them out of childhood. Uh, we are robbing them of the play that's so, des- so important for the creative development of their minds. And so our kids are not getting enough sleep. And so great book. The second thing is it's so beautiful. About four or five weeks ago, I got an email from a lady, uh, part of our church here. She is a sleep consultant, a sleep expert. She puts on seminars, pay a lot of money to go to these things. And she said, she said Michael, uh, if there's ever a chance uh, you think it would be helpful, I would love to put on a sleep seminar for Rocky Peak free of charge uh, just to offer this information to the church. And I said, that's perfect timing. I'm going to be teaching us in a few weeks. So the last Friday of this month, uh, over in the summit from 7 to 9 p.m., she's going to be doing a two-hour sleep seminar. It's going to be designed for adults on uh, how to get good sleep, the dynamics of sleep, what happens during your sleep, also designed for your kids. And she's also an expert in sleep for infants, too, helping develop sleep for infants. So if you're interested, two things. Just sign up. There's information in the back of your program how to sign up for that. There's no cost, but we want to know how many people are coming to make sure we have them in the right venue and we have the right amount of set up. Uh, now, number three. So we've covered, we said, we, first of all, we need to reflect. Secondly, we need to build reflection in our life. Secondly, we need to rest and build sleep in our life. But the third thing, step we need to take, it's kind of the, of the, of the three triumvirate, the, the, th- the big three, the triumvirate is refill. We need to refill, or if you prefer, refuel. Um, and this really comes from a talk that I heard many years ago by a man named Wayne Cordero. Wayne is pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States, fast growing. It's on uh, the island of Hawaii. It's a tough calling, but someone's got to share Jesus there. Uh, and uh, it's called New Hope. Well, I'm not sure the old hope was another island or what. But anyway, it's called New Hope. And uh, Wayne had actually come to the church I used to serve at, um, you know, many years ago. And because we were one of the first churches doing video venues, so we'll probably do it in the future. And um, and so they brought a team over there, and uh, they said, hey, if you ever want to come over to New Hope and check out what we're doing, we'd love to have you, host you. And so I went over a couple of years later and spent several days with Wayne and his team. It was a great time. 
But um, Wayne was sharing this, this particular talk about a time, it's a big crash he'd had in his life. It's an interesting thing. You might not realize this, but a lot of times pastors of large churches, fast-growing churches, they go through a major breakdown. And so if you go through the Charles Stanley, the Bill Hyatt, it's very common that there's a tendency uh, for even uh, pastors, right, to, to run hard but not rest well. And it leads to a breakdown. And so Wayne was, you know, he was uh, leading this fast-growing church. He was there planning churches. Uh, he was leading a Bible school, starting a Bible school. And one day he's out running, and he almost collapses. He thinks he's having a heart attack. He calls his doctor, comes in, and he's not, he's having a breakdown. And it was going to take him three years to recover. This high-capacity, high-charge, high-energy guy, three years to recover from this. And his doctor tells him at the beginning of the journey, he says, Wayne, what you're going to have to do is I want you to go home and I want you to write down everything that fills your cup. And then I want you to write down everything that drains your cup. And he said, what do you mean? He said, I want you to picture your life like a huge water reservoir. And that reservoir represents your energy level. And at the top, I want you to picture a large pipe coming in. These are things that fill you with energy. They energize you. And at the bottom, I want you to picture a large spigot. These are things that drain you. So go home and figure out the things that fill your cup, the things that drain you, because in the next three months, I don't want you to do anything. You have to stop your work, stop your job, and you can only do things that fill your cup because you're in critical condition and you may die if you don't change it. And so he went home. And so here's where some of Wayne's list, things that fill this cup. Uh, Playing sports. You're not watching, but playing. Um, traveling. Yeah, you love travel. Uh, reading. Fill this cup. Time alone with God. Um, playing golf. Um, I don't get that one, but whatever. Um, <laughs> hit the ball, walk. Hit the ball, walk. You know, watch the ball. Fall in the hole. Pick the ball. Auto hole. <laughs> Clap politely. Look extremely bored. Game's over. Three hours. All right, all right. So um, anyway... And some of you, though, I know you love it. That's great. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever God's work in your life is. Uh, anyway, um, spending time with his wife. That was a fill for him. Uh, speaking and teaching. He loved it. That, that energized him. Uh, listening to music. He loved music and then riding his motorcycle. So those were his lists, right? These were his key things. And then uh, he listed the things that drain him. And so here's what drained him. Counseling. He's really not, you know, wired to be a counselor. So uh, counseling would drain him. Um, managing this large-growing ministry rather than leading it. Uh, that really was draining. Uh, pay, lots of paperwork drained him. Um, working with staff that weren't willing to change with a growing organization or weren't carrying out their assignments, that would drain him. And having unresolved conflict at home, that was his list, all right? So here's the question I have for you. If I were going to ask you, what are the top seven or eight things in your life that fill your cup, that energize you? That when you got done doing this and you are ready to tackle life, you're filled up. What would they be? If I were to ask you, what are the things that just drain you? You know, after that person, you're ready to die. You know, it's like, boom, <laughs> stay away from that person. Um, uh, what are the things that drain your cup? What would they be? You know, this week in our life groups, if you're in a message-based life group, you're going to actually answer that question. It'd be a great exercise. If you're not in one, print off the life group study, do it anyway. It'd be great. It's important to know the things. And here's what I want to suggest. If you want to live life well, if you want to stay on track, if you want to live by design, not by default, 
you want to reach your destinations, that you need to not only have times of reflection, not only have times of rest, but you need to know what refills your cup. And as you're designing your life, you need to build those things into your life at a regular basis. And the reason is, if we don't, we won't have the energy to carry out our priorities. And here's the reality. The reality is, the busier we get, typically the first things that we jettison are the things that restore our energy, that refill our cup. So I was thinking for my life, I was thinking, I want to give you an example just from, from my life. You know, what are the things that refill my cup? Uh, and for some of those that know me well, you'll know this, but prior to a year or two ago, I really didn't hike much. In fact, if you were to ask me, um, uh, Mike, do you like hiking? Michael, do you like hiking? I would say, no, I hate it. It's boring. Right? In fact, that's why I love riding a motorcycle. It's like hiking really fast. You know? <laughs> um, so you say, well, why do you hike? It's, well, because we're going to Israel all the time, right? And we hike a lot in Israel. You've got to be in good shape if you're going to go on that trip. And I've got to lead the pack, right? I can't be at the back going, wait up, I'm dying back here. Or like, oh, God's leading me. We're skipping Masada. You know, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, uh, like we, you know, like I've got to be leading the pack, right? So and since we were going to Israel so often the last couple of years, like every time we turn around, it's like time to get into Israel shape, right? And so I'm hiking a lot. But here is an interesting thing. Along the way, I began to feel God calling me to hike more even when I didn't want to hike and even when I was in perfectly good shape. Remember we talked about this listening and following? It's a great example. Is that I would be in great hiking shape. I didn't need it, but I would feel God continuing to call me to hike. Often in the middle of the night, which is even crazier. (laughs) And so I'm out there hiking away. Like, I don't know why we're doing this, but all right. You know, you call me, I'm coming. But over time, this hiking began to be a habit in my life. And then as it became a habit in my life, God began to introduce new elements that completely transformed the experience. And it has now become one of the greatest uh, refills of my life. And you say, well, why? Well, it was about six or seven months ago, maybe shorter, that I realized why hiking has become a refill. And the reason is that while I'm hiking, seven things that refill me happen. And so I want to walk you through them. Okay? There's seven of my things that refill me. Number one, time alone. Uh, I'm an introvert, right? I know you probably don't look like it, but I'm an introvert. And often we think of introvert as shy people. That's not what introversion is about. Introversion and extroversion. Uh, introversion is about what energizes you. Uh, is it your inner world of thoughts and ideas? Does that energize you? Or the external world around you, the things happening, energize you, right? That's what, like in these Myers-Briggs terms, right? So, uh, so I am a very internal person. My mind's going 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, I need a lot of inner stimulation. And so I need that time alone to refresh, right? And so hiking does that, right? Unless I'm hiking with someone else. Uh, then number two, uh, God time. One of the things that restores me, refreshes me, is time with God. Now, I'm not hiking. I'm not talking to him the whole time. But as my mind's going, subjects are coming up, I'm often interfacing with him, processing that, asking about things, asking him for things, right? So significant God time that happens. A third thing that happens is I'm out in nature. 
Now, I am not a nature boy, right? Some of you are like tree huggers. I'm not. I, I'm not out and I just got in the stars like, oh, I'm absorbing, you know. I'm like, whoa, energizer, I'm ready to go. Now, uh, I'm not like that, but I do find that being in nature refills me. Like, because most of the time when I'm hiking, I'm not even aware of my environment. I'm in here. But from time to time, I come out. And when I come out, it's beautiful. And it's really refreshing. I always feel more refreshed when I've been out in nature. Uh, a fourth thing is exercise. Now, I don't like exercise. I'm not going to show of hands, but I know some of you enjoy exercise. Some of you will describe a runner's high. I don't really believe you. Um, I do believe you're high. But I always want to ask, what did you take before you went running? Um, I experienced runner's pain. I experienced the runner's low. I experienced how much longer, right? That's what I experienced. Um, and so I don't really like working out. I, I, I work out in my garage on a regular basis. I do hiking, lots of hiking. But I don't really enjoy it. But here's the thing. What I find is there's few things in life that refill me more than exercise. Uh, I feel about exercise the way that Ernest Hemingway felt about writing. Uh, they once asked Ernest Hemingway, do you like writing? He says, no, I hate writing, but I love having written. That's how I feel about exercise. <laughs> do you like exercise? No, I hate it. I do anything I can to distract myself, but I love having done it. I found that, like, my, I'm so internal, my brain gets almost like cramped. And when I'm exercising, it feels like it's just slowly releasing. It's like these rivers of refreshment enzymes are going through, these endorphins. And I get done, and I'm fresh again, right? And it's, like, very powerful. And that happens during hiking. Uh, the fifth one, this was critical for me, was learning. Like, I am a voracious learner. When life is at its best, I'm reading seven to eight books at one time. I just, I have an app, like, if I'm not learning, I'm dying. And here's what switched for me. Uh, about seven or eight, nine months ago, I can't remember what it was, I felt like God gave me this idea to start listening to podcasts when I'd walk. Leadership podcasts, it developed into audiobooks, and it is so life-giving to me. I'm out there learning and growing. I'm getting so pumped up, I can hardly stand it, right? And I, I just, I mean, ideas start coming. And so learning has been a really cool thing, tip. I got this, uh, these uh, Bluetooth uh, uh, little ear pods that so you can flip them on and flip them off by your ear. Awesome. You know, $32 worth of worth <laughs> gold. Um, uh, a sixth thing is spiritual downloads. Like nothing refreshes me like God speaking to me, God revealing something to me. And so, many of you know that God doesn't speak usually in words, but usually I'm praying at one time, and then later on, it's just the answer comes. It's like a spiritual doubt. I sense God showing me, God directing, God speaking. And I can't tell you how many times that I'm out on a Friday, which is my day off, Friday or Saturday morning in these long hikes, not even thinking about the weekend message, and all of a sudden, it comes. What's missing? What's wrong with that? What needs to be added? What God wants to do here? 
And it's powerful, and it fires me up. I can't tell you how many times I'm out there, and all of a sudden, I've been praying for God's direction for the church, and something comes. I know the next step. It needs to happen now. I'm out there texting staff while I'm hiking. Like, here's what you need to do. By Tuesday, this has to happen, right? But because it's, it's coming, and I find when God speaks to me, it is the most refreshing thing in all of life. It is like water to my soul. I know who he is. I know who I am. I know how the world works. Life is clear, it's fresh, energizing. And the seventh thing is music. I love music. I listen to a lot of music, but I'm out there listening to music sometimes. I hear the words like I never hear them any other time because I'm just all alone out there in nature. Beautiful, very restorative. So here's seven things, seven things that restore my soul, and now I understand why God wanted me to hike when I didn't want to hike. It's become a very refreshing time for me. It's a critical part of my week. I hardly let anything get in the way of that. I go out Friday mornings, uh, often early, but maybe three, three and a half hours, a Saturday morning. These are critical times in my week. They are very strategic. It's restoring my soul, and it's restoring them before I come to teach here. Because when I come here, I want to be at my best. I want to be refreshed. I want to be on my game. I want to be excited about who he is and what he's doing. I want to come with full energy. Right? Because I think if that's what I bring, I can bring you vision and clarity for your life and energy. And so these are strategic times in my life that I protect that. And the question is for you, how does God restore your soul? What refills your cup? Because the reality is we often look at res restoration as an option. I want to suggest today it is critical for your success. If you want to live life by design and not by default, if you want to achieve your, reach your destinations that you and God have designed, we talked about last week, that you have to build into your life times of regular reflection, times of rest, and times of refill. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're just excited about what you're doing in our lives and this series and how you're just unpacking it one step at a time. And God, I feel as much blessed to be a recipient of that as the communicator of that. God, those times where you come and you make it clear how at the start of a week a message may seem foggy, but then you make it clear by the end. And God, as a church, we just want to gather around what you're teaching us. And today, God, as we talk about this important step, I pray that you'd teach us each for our own lives what does it look like to, to build reflection? What does it look like to build solid rest? What's it look like to refill on a regular basis so we can bring our full energy to the game, so we can live, live and lead well, so we can see what's important. We don't live flat-lined existence, that we can raise our head above the horizon and tell the difference, discern the difference between the important and the urgent, and that we can live by design and not by default. So as we bring you our offerings, as we worship you, we pray you use these gifts to unleash a movement of truly passionate Christ followers. And God, meet us now, even those here that are most tired and most worn out and most discouraged, and we pray that you revive us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand with you. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who is a reviver, that uh, he restores our soul, and he has designed us in such a way that we are to build rhythms into our life day and night, Weekday and Sabbath, seasons of our lives, a time to plant, a time to reap, and a time to rest. And this is the way he's designed life. 
And as followers of Jesus, he's not designed us to live a breakneck speed. It's not life to the full. And so it's very countercultural to push back against that and say, you know what? I want to live life by design and not by default. I want to live my life intentionally. And so I'm going to build rest and reflection and renewal and refilling. I'm going to, I'm going to build that into my life so I can live well for the long run so that I can achieve the very most in life, and so I can bring great energy to the things that are most important so that I can reach the destinations that under God's leadership, he's shown me this is his calling for my life. What a beautiful thing to live life that way. It's a struggle. It's a challenge for all of us to figure it out. But this is why he's given us his spirits, why we need to be pursuing him first and listening well, that he will guide us. He will direct us one step at a time. Amen. Like when I started hiking, I didn't know what that was about. Just listen and follow, right? And then as time goes on, you go, you are brilliant. You're brilliant, right? And uh, it's an amazing thing. And so remember, after the service today, we always have prayer over at the right side, over here, my right, your left, by the walls. You have prayer for anything in your life. God, we would love to pray with you on that. Next week, topic on the table is Connect. God has designed us that one of the most important things in life, a well-designed life, are relationships. What are the most important relationships in your life, maybe in your family, uh, in your church family, and in the world, those who don't know Christ, what are the most important relationships that he wants you to design into your life to invest in those, the kind of time and energy that will pay off the greatest dividend and lead to a life well lived. So I hope you can be here for that. It's going to be a great time. Until then, God bless you, and may God restore your soul this week. Amen? God bless you guys. Love you.